bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Welcome to this episode of Talent Champions. I'm excited to have Bob Mosier as our guest. Bob is an author, CEO, and Chief Learning Evangelist at Applied Synergies. He helps learning organizations design, develop, and measure effective learning and performance support strategies. I think, Bob, we met, it had to been at least a decade ago, and we just continued to stay in touch and be resources over the last uh, decade or so. So great to have you, Bob. Welcome. Well, thanks, Dana. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much to be with you on this journey this whole way. And I so appreciate being here today to, to talk about all this good stuff. We invited you, as you know, to talk about designing training that attracts and retains today's employees. But before we start drilling down on that content, I'd love for you to share a little bit about what you do, who you do it with, and you've got to touch on your very unique title being the title of Chief Learning Evangelist. Yeah, well, it's been a journey, hasn't it? Yeah, this uh, I've actually been at this, folks, for quite a while. This is my 37th year, my gosh, in education. I started out as a public school teacher here in the States uh, in upstate New York, small dairy town up in that way. And so L&D has been my world my whole life, and, and I've held a number of titles, I worked on what I call both sides of the table, meaning I've been on the vendor side is in selling learning. Uh, And I've also been on the consulting side of that, as well as I've been on the buyer receiving side. I've been a a lot part of a large enterprise where we, uh, of course, had internal training and I was part of that team. So, you know, I've been at this for forever. The the title is an interesting thing in that it came from my years at Microsoft. I was there as the director of uh, learning evangelism. So I love the title so much, Diane, I kept it. <laughs> you know, when, when I went <laughs> off on my own and got deeper into this, this really is the world that we're in, right? I mean, it's, uh, I, I just, we're, you know, those that have passion for what they do and, and have a message to tell are, are evangelists at heart. And so uh, there's a lot of need for effective learning evangelism within organizations to, to get people where they need to be. So kind of adopted the title as I got into my company a while ago and kind of carried it through since. Well, it definitely describes you. You have such a huge passion <laughs> for learning and sharing that learning with so many others. Well, thank you. One of the things that's been a theme for our talent champions over the last several months as I've been interviewing individuals is just this talent crunch. So it's much harder to not only attract and hire, but ensuring that their companies are offering the most effective development, not only so that their workforce can be the most productive, but to be able to do it in the least amount of time. And so when I was hearing this and I was like, oh, I gotta have my friend and colleague Bob come and talk to this group. So, you know, I know that you have been helping people because you helped me as well, um, how to figure out how to offer learning in a way that employees want to receive it as well. And that's really challenging as somebody that was, you know, not that long ago leading learning when you've got multiple generations in the workforce and you got somebody over here saying, I'd like it this way and somebody else wants it this way, the learners, and then you got the bosses that have their own idea. So maybe you could just give us some initial thoughts about, you know, why are you specializing in this area? What do our learning leaders need to be doing today to help best yeah. meet the needs of their learners? 
Yeah, I mean, you bring up a great point, my friend, and and, and I love, and I'm going to actually capitalize on a transition I heard you do as we as we worked our way into this question was that the initial part was right about talking how about design training that attracts and retains employees, and then you you did a wonderful job as always of migrating into a much more powerful word, and that is the word learning. You know, it's it's been an interesting journey for L and D, and I think they're under you know, it, there's a famous book right that starts out it was the best of times, it was the worst of times, and. In some ways, a lot of L&D professionals are under uh, scrutiny, pressure uh, to, to deliver a different kind of product than we historically have. And frankly, one of my favorite pitch lines is, you know, L&D has to get out of the training business, you know, and, and into the learning business. It's, uh, learning has always been what we hope the outcome was, but I don't know if we ever saw ourselves or the deliverables we offered were truly learning assets, as I like to call them. We, were, we delivered training. We put mm-hmm. people in classes, we had LMSs, we do virtual stuff, but the reality is it's very much what I call a training or an event-based mindset. And for years, I mean, back 100, frankly, that was what L&D or HR did. Uh, we offered courses, we built brick and mortar universities, uh, we had faculty, we called them, all these wonderful things that mapped to an academic model. But the reality is, with the talent we're chasing today, uh, who's, who has a, palm, a, a, a cell phone in their hand every day? You know that, that takes it to bed with them every you know every evening. Oh yeah, right. The idea of of fingertip knowledge and information being literally at a, in in our, the palm of our hand has changed the landscape of instruction. Um, more importantly, it's changed the landscape of the expectation of the learner. So back to your idea about retaining folks for any length of time we're attracting them is I think if we're going to get the kind of talent we want, if we're going to keep up with the rate of change that our organizations live at today. I think the day of an event-based model being the tip of the sword are gone. And so that's why 10 years ago, I was pulled into this world, frankly, kicking and screaming because I was a classroom advocate. I had taught train the trainer courses. Uh, my degree is in academics and so on. But we were changing the world at the time, Diana, in, in, in back when we first met into this idea that the reality is retention is all about uh, keeping people current. It's all about, you know, you've, you've seen the research that people value feeling professional development as being one of the leading reasons to stay with a company over sometimes even their pay. Right. Right. So our ability to keep up with the rate of change, with, with introducing what we're calling workflow learning into the, into the toolkit. And in many organizations, Boeing, uh, McDonald's was leading there as well, Bank of America, Department of Defense, these are the organizations that I'm working with every day. They are changing not just deliverables, but a culture and a mindset to one of how do we get people and keep people current and performing at a rate and in a way that training traditionally has never done for us in the past. Now, great insights. Tell us a little bit more about how you define workflow learning. I'm not sure all of our audience has heard that term. Yeah, well, it's actually a new one, frankly. And, 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 And if we talk six months from now, you know our business, it may not be the term. But, uh, but I will take you back a bit. We, it, I think the, the birth of this idea was we, well, something called informal learning, right? There was, this, there was a great guy uh, that wrote a book on the whole topic, uh, Jay Cross, and he wrote the book on informal learning. And, and, and the irony of it and the struggle we had with that, Dana, was that the problem with it is, well, informal is anything that's not formal. And the reality is that's a big bucket to boil. You know, it's, it's it, it encompassed anything from the water cooler discussion to the parking lot conversation to, you know, formal coaching. And that, that's a pretty broad brush for L&D to kind of absorb. So over the years, we've, we've kind of refined it. And uh, workflow learning has emerged as a pretty popular term because as it implies, 
is that it's really, and this is, impo- this is an important distinction, is it implies that a learner learns while doing. A learner learns while performing, uh, while in their job. And I obviously emphasize the word while because you and I remember that at one point, one of the, one of the tipping points was something called an LMS and e-learning where we could bring learning into the workflow, right? We could have it available in the workflow, right? They could, they could click out to an LMS and, but see, I'm, I'm trying to be very careful in my semantics because that's not workflow learning. And, and, and we were fooled by it. We used the acronym JIT just in time. And we, as a dear friend of mine says, we, we confused immediacy with relevancy. You know, and so the first generation of this was, let's just make learning available while people are in the workflow. And the problem is they had to still leave work to consume it. They didn't fly to another building or, or another city or drive across town. But, but the reality was they had to physically or cognitively leave their work to log into the LMS, find the right course, and so on. Workflow learning literally lives while I'm in the workflow and therefore is uh, synonymous with learning while doing, which is frankly one of the most powerful learnings we can do. Yeah. And I know that that was a turning point for me when you came in and you were doing some consulting with me uh, at Hamburg University. One of the challenges we had is we had so many requests Mm. for different types of learnings. You know, they wanted all of the training on all of these new products and new procedures and at that time, everybody loved e-learning. So it was like, make mm-hmm. me e-learning, make your e-learning. And I, I remember one of the things you empowered our team by learning and having in our pocket was the five moments of need. Mm. Because we tended to go after everything as it is, uh, in, in your terms, you just said before, a training opportunity. They want training. It's exciting because before they weren't coming to the, our department and asking us. Now everybody wants it because the quality <laughs> is seen as so good. But at the end of the day, you can't have that much training for all of these employees. You're op- at, in McDonald's, our operators weren't going to pay for it, and it wasn't effective. So I really loved how you brought in and you taught our team about the five moments of need. Mm. And that was something we were able to use as um, a main tool in our toolkit when we were consulting with the field, with those that wanted learning in regards to what's the right solution instead of yeah. this, you know, one e-learning module for everything. Yes, you know, it's so important. And, and, and the five moments, Dan, and we're born out of that exact problem, right? How could everything not be good? We, we learned a really important principle in instruction, which is that when it comes to classroom instruction, or, or we call um, ramping someone up to mastery, uh, sure, content's important and, and, and understanding is important. So, so more, frankly, in that case is often better. The irony for many IDs and L&D folks to learn was once we trip the wire, though, into the workflow and someone is actually trying to get something done, less is better. Contextual is better. You know, and, and that's a very different approach. And so we needed some type of filter to calm the need and thus the, the birth of the five moments of need. If we really um, drive at categorizing all those options based on the need the learner is facing, we can pare back the choices, but at the same time, optimize them. So what we're born are the five moments, which are, the first two are the ones that frankly training does serve, which is when someone needs to learn something for the first time, or when they have base knowledge and need to learn more, moments one and two, nothing beats formal instruction. E-learning, classroom, virtual, the whole deal, these things work great. 
The irony, though, is that they, that is a small part of a performer or a worker's day. They spend a majority of it in the final three moments, which are trying to apply and remember, trying to keep up with change, or trying to troubleshoot a problem. Those three are the majority of a workday. They also are served very differently. When I'm faced with a, with a hotline call, or if I'm at McDonald's and I'm doing customer-facing work, or I'm a manager trying to mentor an employee, the operations, the tools, the pedagogy that lets us teach would not serve that moment at all. Those are, those are moments of apply, change, and solve. Very, very different moments. So tools like performance support, tools like adaptive learning, AI, you know, these new emerging technologies are really stepping up to a more immersive, contextual-driven way of learning. But it all pivots first on that vital conversation with our stakeholders of which moment are you trying to solve, which moments are you targeting for your learners, and therefore I can then map the optimum deliverable to those moments. Great summary of the five moments of, of need, and we'll make sure that we include some information on our website so our audience isn't frantically trying to take notes right now. They'll be able to <laughs> they'll be able to get the information, the great information that you've shared without rewinding uh, this podcast. Um, one example I would share in regards to how we changed the way we were delivering learning at McDonald's was our salads would change all the time. And mm-hmm. initially the thought was you have to create a new e-learning. Every time there's a new salad build <laughs> or for the you know the customer service people to know how to describe it to the um, customers, you know, what's different about it now that we have these new ones. And we ended up coming up with this job aid, you know, so here's what's different. So when people would come in, we do a quick little huddle. So if you're making salads, here's the job aid that's now part of the station. If you're up front, here's a quick job aid if somebody's asking you about the salads we would show it to them and I think we even took it further with your advice and coaching is embedding the actual builds of salads in that point of sales uh, on the on the device so I mean to me that was something that the operators were so excited and our learners were excited about because oh don't make me take another e-learning module and I'm gonna have to go (laughs) off the floor to do it nope you can do it right there and here's the difference you know so great example that sticks in my in my mind uh, based on some things that you taught us. So Bob, where can companies start if they want to move to more of a performance mindset of training or learning uh, to develop and retain talent uh, in today's market? So is there a starting point? I mean, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You've got to start somewhere. Where would you suggest or where do you consult that people would start? Maybe share a few tips Sure. Well, well, Diana, you nailed it brilliantly in your story, right? And if and if you listen to the, how your story matured as you went from the request to the deliverable, was that your first thought was training? We got new salads. We've got a new product. We have a new compliance. We have a new sales technique. We have a new software, right? The the problem with each of those requests is that it starts with the word new, and so there we go, right? The, the knee jerk reaction is, well, let's make training. That is a training mindset first. The irony of the, of the situation you described, Nish, as you talk through the scenario, what you realize was, guys, I've made salads before, right? I've, I've, I've made shakes before. I, I've managed people before. I've sold chairs for this company for 50 years, you know, you know, trying to give different scenarios here. But the reality is, even though something comes out new, it very often is, is more of, a, of, an, of an add-on. It's more of a contextual understanding of the nuances of how to perform in the new situation. 
So what you did in your in your scenario was exactly that. You shifted from a training mindset, as in I've never touched a sale before in my life. I have no idea how to how to run the cash register. Yeah, that's that's moments one and two, right? But but you but the way the story manifests itself was you had a performance problem. Not that people were, were malicious or anything, but they had to they had to adapt their performance, which in many cases they already fundamentally knew to this new way of doing it. And you shifted to a performance mindset and therefore gave performance deliverables. That's always my, my, my first recommendation to organizations easing into this. Find a performance problem, not a training one. And, and the best people to ask are frontline managers. And, 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 and often when we're trying to do our first project with companies, we sit down with a frontline manager who maybe even, most of them are not even making any kind of training request. And we say, look, simple question. When you look at your team, what keeps you up at night? What that mean and what that what that translates to them is here's the here's the six ways my people can't perform right now. They're slow at this. They do this repeatedly. They don't understand that. They can't keep up with. They can't. You know, they, they list all of these moments three through five. Right, adapt, change, solve problems, and then you build a deliverable, very concise, very simple for a perform a one performance problem. Here's the the problem with L and D, Anna, for years is that our chunk size. What we build for has always been way too big. We build courses, lessons, units. I'm not talking about that here. I'm talking about a performance problem. I can't fill out a form. I can't make a particular type of sale. I can't understand sale at A to sale at B. Those are performance-based issues. Start there and then don't boil the ocean. Take small steps in understanding the ways in which you can uh, you can develop many of what you described. Performance-based tools, i.e., job aids, uh, coaching programs, electronic performance support systems, embedded systems. These are the tools of the trade of a performance mindset deliverable. I love that. Yeah, taking small steps and and really getting those end users involved. And and I know that that's a challenge sometimes for L&D people is to get the right people involved in the <laughs> as SMEs and and you know, to me that was such a critical piece in changing the outcome of what we we're producing is really getting the right people to yep. give us, you know, those uh, uh, needs in a way that we could best, you know, understand, categorize, and then be able to deliver on them. Well, you know, what's funny is an interesting um, person has emerged in our work of late, and that is what we call a BME, right? An SME is a subject matter expert. They're the person that is already performing perfectly, right? What, what you're speaking to and, and the way we want to start with the performance mindset is I want to talk to a performer who's not there yet, which we call a business matter expert. The business matter expert can give us the, the world they sit in today. The SME gives us the world we want them to sit in tomorrow. If you put the two of them in a room to do your analysis and candidly let the BME run the day, run the show, with the SME adapting and helping us understand the end product, if you build to a BME's need, and for years, Dana, you and I both know, we built for the SME's need. Yep. If you shift a performance-first deliverable meets the BME's need ultimately to get them to the SME level. I love that shift. That's such a, a great way of saying it. And, and I think it makes it much more clear on who should be in the room with you as you're developing this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, there's many of times where I've seen training and it's perfect for the SMEs, but yeah. they're already experts <laughs> at it. <laughs> well, you know, there was some interesting research that showed that SMEs can miss up to 50% of what a BME needs because an SME is already there. Their ability to go back and think of day one 
or think of the early mistakes they made is often beyond what they can even remember anymore because everything's become so automated to them. So sometimes the, mo the most rudimentary, simple performance steps they took in the beginning have been intrinsically learned and therefore to recite them and say, oh yeah, back in day one, I remembered and had to do this. They miss all of those rich things that the BME would offer. Yeah. No, excellent advice. Yeah, you know, one of the things I remember reading in your book, and, and actually I remember a conversation we talked about it, is how fast the world is moving in regards to, especially with our talent champions and those that are really challenged with creating, you know, the right learning for their, their users. And I remember the analogy was the new normal is like keeping current in learning today is like changing the tire on a truck that's moving. And, and now I don't even think the, the truck is moving. I think it's speeding and you're in a speeding car next to it and maybe you're multitasking, but it's, it's complicated. Absolutely. You know, that, that's why the world of Agile has emerged, right? I mean, the days of Addy for many, I, God, I may get some hate calls for this, but the, the days of Addy for many are dead. You know, Addy served its time out of a world when event-based instruction, the, life, the shelf life of content, Okay, so help our people who might not know if they're more in the HR side of our talent champion audience. Uh, maybe just an overview of Addy real quick. Sure. Addy is an acronym, age-old acronym that's been in our industry about analyze, design, develop, implement, and evaluate. It's an, it's an acronym for designing a very fundamental training, if you will, deliverable, right? But, but to your point, the reality is it was built in a time when the speed of change you described a moment ago just did not exist. Right? And so the reality of being agile as an organization, which is what we're trying to hire to, has also spilled down in being agile in the way in which we design, develop, and more importantly, maintain and keep current the information learners need every day. How would you recommend someone stay current on what's going on so that they don't get left behind? Yeah, well, I think, frankly, podcasts like this, you and I both know the CLO organization that we're, we're involved in. I, th I think the reality is that the days of us going in, knowing what we needed are gone. Uh, in business acumen and so on. I mean, keeping up those types of things is the biggest struggle for folks. So I think the, de the degree to which we maintain social networks, the degree to which we maintain colleagues like yourself, and you and I have stayed, stayed to current and together for years, and, and the degree to which we keep up with, with podcasts, again, like I said, like your own, and others and thought leaders that are out there that are working on ways about how the industry changes. You know, the, we are the cobbler's children who have no shoes, right? We're in the training business yet. I think in many ways, we're some of the most underserved trained group in the, in the, in the organization, right? So I think a, com a commitment to remaining current, uh, stay up on our reading, follow those that are, are ha having these more f futuristic and, and directive thoughts, and most importantly, network, network, network so that we understand the worlds and the trends and the technologies that others are using, can learn from best practices and then do the best to incorporate them into the companies we work for. Yeah, you have to make the time to learn and grow. And you may not Absolutely. have the budget and you don't wanna prioritize yourself you know, over others. Uh, some of my leaders will tell me, but you gotta make the time. And there's, like you said, there's so many great podcasts out there, uh, so many great articles and through like things like LinkedIn and these professional organizations, there's no reason that you're not um, you know, staying current because the content's out there. You might have to shift through it and figure out you know, how to absorb it, but <laughs> It, there's a lot yep. of stuff out there. There definitely is. And I, and I think, frankly, it's almost to, gotten to the point of, your, of being irresponsible not to, right? It's like physician heal thyself, right? I mean, we have to be the first to model lifelong learning. 
if we want organizations to create it. So any leader today has to make a commitment to be a, a lifelong learner. And, and, and to your point, I love the way you said it, add intentionality to that learning as in scheduling time for it, finding networks that do it, taking courses that enable it, those types of stuff, and, and not have it be happenstance because we'll, we'll never have the time. Yeah. Recently, I was talking to a learning leader and she was telling me about she just really needs to figure out how to ensure her team is staying current and learning. And mm -hmm. so I just turned it back to her and I said, well, explain to me how you're doing that and how right. are you sharing and how are you being transparent because you right. cast the strongest shadow as yes. the leader of that organization, not only for your team, but for creating a culture of learning in your organization. I mean, we're, we're in the learning business for gosh sakes. I mean, that's what we do. But at the same time, when I, when I stand in front of instructional designers, I often ask them, how many of you have taken a course in the last six months? I get no hands. Right. I mean, so so how can we not how can we be out there on the leading edge of these things when I do performance support and I talk about EPSS is adaptive learning, artificial intelligence. One of the questions I asked people in my workshops early on is, by the way, how many of you use those or have tried them yourselves? No one raises their hand. We, we, we have to be in the learning business ourselves first to then lead our teams to do the same. No, that's great advice. Are there any key things in regards to if you haven't looked into this, uh, you know, current, whether it's technology or approach you should, that's kind of becoming more mainstream or cutting edge that our learning leaders or talent leaders should be aware of? Yeah, well, there, there's a couple I would mention. Um, one, one's one that's it's going to kind of throw us back, but I think it's it's not our grandfather's, you know, uh, tool anymore. And that is performance support and, 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 and electronic performance support systems. This is not the days of Gloria Geary back in the 90s. You know, these systems have matured into remarkable content repositories, content management systems, adaptive learning environments. These are words we in personalization. These are words we wanted to use for years that, that and, and unfortunately, the problem with performance support, it has such an aged moniker to it when people hear the brand. But highly recommend you look into those. Adaptive learning coming on very, very strong and, and very much in complement to EPSSs or electronic performance support systems. But these are sometimes very different. A lot of them hinge on assessment and testing. Uh, strong push on these into compliance if that's a world you play in quite a bit. But adaptive learning systems are becoming super powerful in bringing personalized learning to folks based on mistakes, based on learning curves, um, based on, on a lot of really powerful intelligence built behind them. And obviously intelligence leads us to things like artificial intelligence. I think we have to keep our, a strong eye on that. It's immature in our business, but it's coming on awful strong. And the last I'd give is a new acronym that's out there called an LXE. Um, it's a learning experience, I'm sorry, LXP, which is a learning experience platform. Most everyone on this podcast, if they're learning folks, probably have an LMS, right? Learning Management Systems. The new age of these things are ones that are called LXPs or learning experience platforms that are the next, many think are the next generation of LMSs in that they are, a, they are fundamentally a content repository, but as an LMSs were highly directive by nature, uh, these are anything but that. These, and, and these are not top-down systems like LMSs were. These are, are user up systems that help watch behavior, help watch preferences, help watch insights and then let the information get tagged and shared amongst others based on those things. So super powerful systems to keep an eye on. Wow, some great advice. I was taking some, I was taking some notes as well. So <laughs> I, I need to continue to, to stay current and brush up as well. So one of the things I love to do is ask my guests 
uh, about a person who has had the greatest impact on your professional life and why you wouldn't be where you are today mm. with that, without that person's influence. Does somebody come to mind? Well, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I've been blessed to have a number of what I call professional heroes in my life. And there's five that I think of quite a bit, but the top of the list, it's got to sound cliche, Diana, but it's my mom. You know, my, my mother was a professional educator um, back candidly at a time when women were not. Uh, she owned a small business at a time when, when again, candidly, women didn't. Um, and she was always a lifelong learner. And she was the beginning of this for me. She, she never let me settle. Right. And she and she had a passion for learning, but more importantly, a passion for others uh, learning and instilled that in me early on. And candidly, because of that, I struggled as a learner early on in, in the in, in the traditional sense of what that meant, um, because she instilled a fire in me to look at my own. I didn't call it this then, but my own professional development and what I needed out of a learning experience very differently than the sit in a desk, you know, hands at your side, you know, raise your hand when called upon kind of an approach. So. She, to this day, has had a huge impact on the way I look at uh, the learning design and work that I do. Oh, great story. So do you have any final piece of advice for our talent champions? Well, I, there's, there's, there's just one I would advise. And, and it, this always surprises me, Diana, when I go into organizations to help them with this journey. So I say, look, how well do you know the workflow your learners are in every day? And by that, I don't mean the course to teach or the business objective you're trying to align to or what the C-suite's talking about. I mean the rank and file worker. How, how many times have you gone out and done what I call a learning asset analysis, which is basically you sit down with a learner and ask a simple question, what, what gets you through the day? You know, when you come in here at eight o'clock and leave at five and you run into any of the moments of need, change, challenge, solve, apply, what do you do? Who do you go to? What asset do you pull out that helps you perform every day? If you went around your organization and did that analysis, sat and listened to learners about how they perform and try to every day, you'd be blown away by what they tell you. It have nothing to do, no offense, because I, I know I took it offensively at first, but it, very little will you hear, well, my gosh, that course I took six months ago just changed my life. Or the e-learning I logged on to last Tuesday was just brilliant. Or even the coaching program I go to, they give you everyday things that have empowered them to perform effectively in organizations. And I think if we're going to make this shift from training first to performance, we have to have a better understanding of how people are surviving in the workflows of our company, um, in the rate of change we talked about earlier, the pressures that are on them, the kind of talent you're trying to attract, and more importantly, retain, right? Because we all know that they're all looking for the next gig. Right? Why are they doing that? How how are they performing today? Would change the way you look at your talent programs and your learning programs uh, in some powerful ways. Great, great advice. I love that. It's like doing a learning audit. I think we're yeah. all involved in or have done those in the past. Like, gosh, I got to go back and evaluate. You know how people are learning, but also involving that whole performance support through yeah, the how learners. How are they performing? Yes. Right? How are how are they performing? Don't ask them about your stuff. We've yeah. done enough of that. Ask them about their stuff, and, and you'll be surprised what you'll find. Great. No, I love it. So much great information chucked into this <laughs> episode. Uh, really enjoyed it. So how could our listeners get in touch with you or learn more? Sure. Well, in a couple of ways. You know, obviously, by all means, and I think, I think we'll provide this for them as part of the podcast, but please reach out directly to my email. I'd be happy to answer that. Also, at the same time, there's, you, of course, you can go to my organization's website, applysynergies.com. 
Um, but if you want to get more into the five moments of need, we've also launched a co-brand in what is the five moments of need.com site uh, that has podcasts like this and other things in association with that that help you better understand the power of this workflow learning and, and how we might be able to help if, if it can. And let's let's at least plug your book because I think it's still a very relevant um, resource for people to, to use. Yeah, it's well, it's performance support. It's uh, been out there for quite a bit. Um, and, and we'd love to pe have people take a read. There is another version coming, so we'll be sure that they can get a, a close look at that soon, too. Ah, is there going to be a lot of changes? or? Ah, there's a few in there, yeah, <laughs> with it, where we went into. So the innovative performance support verse version will be coming out with the second one soon. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we'll have to have you back when that's out so we can continue well, to go thank further. You. Thanks well, so much, Dana. So appreciate the conversation as always. Thank you. Just a heads up, on our next episode, we will be focusing on the personal development topics of executive presence and communication. These topics have been brought up and requested by our listeners. So join us when we'll be addressing areas like, what are you doing today that's unintentionally sabotaging your career? And do you look and act like you fit into the role you aspire to attain? So go to our website, talent-champions.com, and click on subscribe so that you'll be notified when the next episode is released, and you can also receive special bonus content from our guest. That's talent-champions.com. Click on subscribe to receive email updates from Talent Champions. Thank you, and have a great week. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. For more information about today's show or to receive more valuable insights, please visit franklincovey.com slash talent champions. If you've enjoyed this podcast, check out Franklin Covey's other podcast, Great Life, Great Career with Scott Miller and Franklin Covey on Leadership, available from your favorite podcast provider. <laughs>